watch Mitchell and Webb Sound, starring David Mitchell and Robert Webb, with Olivia Coleman and James Bachman. Oh, oh wow. Oh dear, wh where am I? Welcome to the gates of heaven, Ken. Now, can I just ask you a few simple questions? My goodness, yeah, of course, go ahead. Okay, Ken. So tell me, do you have a washing machine? Uh, yes. And is it a motorised 20th century washing machine or a more traditional tub and mangle affair? It's new. Oh. <laughs> oh, dear. What? Why is, is that important? It's indicative. And do you own a car with an internal combustion engine? Well, well yeah, yes, I do. Oh, oh dear. Well, here comes the clincher. Ken, are you Amish at all, Ken? <laughs> no. Oh, I'm sorry, Ken. We're not going to be able to let you in. What? This is heavens only for the Amish? That's right, Ken. God's a massive fan of the Amish. He's Amish, I'm Amish, we're all Amish. I'm afraid if you're not Amish, you're not coming in. The, the Amish? The Amish are right. You mean, to get into heaven you have to go around like it's 1900? He's really not that keen on anything after the 1830s. No? No. He just thinks it's not up to much. He's really into, you know, old-fashioned things. Carts, horses, ye oldie shoppy, that whole thing. But surely, in his infinite wisdom, God isn't just going to say, I had to be, like, Amish. I'm afraid that's very much the route he's taken, actually. <laughs> How was I supposed to know? Well, if you read Amish literature, they do stress they are the one true way. But all religions say that. Yes, but they're all wrong. <laughs> Apart from the Amish. <laughs> Plus, there was Witness with Harrison Ford and Kelly McGillis. <laughs> we thought that was a very strong hint. Witness? Okay, look, I can see I'm getting nowhere. I'll go to hell, fair enough. At least my whole family will be down there. Um, not according to our records, actually. You see, your mother, she was a big fan of David Owen, wasn't she? Uh, yes. Yes, well, you see, the Amish thing is a very recent enthusiasm. Before that, God was mad on the SDP. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Big Talk, your weekly gulletful of the massively important. I'm Raymond Terrific, and as usual, gathered around me in the studio are the biggest bunch of eggheads and brainiacs that taxis can be sent to fetch. And together, we're going to be thrashing out some absolutely colossal issues. Right, first up, AIDS pandemic in Africa. Come on, boffins, let's sort this out once and for all. What do we reckon? Richard? Well, as usual, Raymond, you've raised an absolutely huge question. Of course I have, Richard! This is big talk! Now let's sort this out! Well, I, I feel the root of the problem may be education. Too much or too little? Too little. Right, sleeves rolled up, send more. Ships full of schools? Is that the answer? Leonard? Well, no, I don't think... Cancel the school ships! What's the answer? Come on, boffins! Let's bash our heads together on this one! And um, if I could just... Yes, Danielle, you're about the biggest boffin here. Sort these guys out and let's stop the dying if we could just about be bothered. Well, see, a first step might be... Come on, boffins! The clock is ticking! What are we going to do? But it's not so much about education as... About money. Money! Right, they need money. How much? Richard! Uh, well, it's difficult... How much money, Richard, to get this sorted? I... 
I don't... Leonard! Um... Don't desert me, boffins! £700 billion? Oh, no! That's enormous! Where are we going to find that? <laughs> right, let's get some pizza in! Come on, boffins, gather round the pad! We're going to crack this if it takes all night! Next week on Big Talk, Raymond Terrific and his guests address the issue of homelessness. Where are they going to live? Where? <laughs> Come on, boffins! Coming soon to HBO. If you thought The Sopranos were mean, then these guys are taking organized crime to another level. Meet the Castrati. Hey, Polly, how's it hanging? Solitary and low, solitary and low. You know what I'm saying? Bada bing, bada boom. They may not have testicles, but they've sure got cojones. These guys are into everything. Prostitution. Hey, Tracy, the other girls are earning, but you're a little short this week. I'm not the only one. Protection. Hey, this is a nice fine glassware business you got here. Be a shame if something were to happen to it. You know what I'm saying? I'll have the money next week, I swear. Just please don't sing. Not good enough. <clears throat> but nothing matters to them more than family. Paulie Jr., the time has come for you to get made. How do you mean, Dad? I mean the time has come for you to follow your father in the family business. Dad, I, I, I told you I don't want to do that. What, you two go for this life, is that it? No, it's... I just got a girlfriend, Dad. Oh, it's like that, is it? Well, let me tell you, my father was a castrato, his father was a castrato, and his father before him was one. How is that even possible? <laughs> the castrati. They're just men with nothing to lose. Hello, it's me again. Yippee! Looks like I've landed another show. Ka-ching! They can't get enough of me. Although they're trying. I was guest of honour at the controller of E4's barbecue. She put me in charge of the potato salad, double helping for Alan Yentop, and here I am, swings and roundabouts. So... <laughs> Welcome to Sell That House to Them, the show in which people who've had their houses on the market for several months get me to walk around trying to make suggestions about inexpensive changes, you know, perhaps do a bit of tidying up, whatever. Anything to make a better impression on people who might want to buy it. Oh, and not forgetting that some people then do come around and say, yeah, it looks nice. So, <laughs> that's the lineup. Now, let's meet Stephen and Beverly, who've been trying to sell their rubbish little first home for ages. So, Stephen, why are you moving, apart from the obvious. Well, we're just looking for somewhere a bit bigger. And nicer, I dare say. And you're Beverly, Stephen's wife. That's right. You don't seem to have much to say for yourself. Has feminism not reached Swindon? Well... Cat got your tongue? Oh, have you got a cat? Because that's the first thing. No, no, coffee. Put some coffee on, that's the first thing. Put the coffee on and the cat down. Got that? <laughs> coffee on, cat down. That's your mantra. Stephen? Coffee on, cat down. Beverly? Um, Don't bother, Beverly. You're a dead loss. Sorry. Did the researchers speak to you when they arranged this? Because I said I wanted people who were sparky. You know, click, click, click. So, Stephen, actually, Beverly, instead of just standing there nodding, why don't you get going with that coffee and try and find the cat? We, we haven't got it. She is allowed in the kitchen, is she, Stephen? Because I don't know what sort of patriarchal regime you've got going here that's, that's turned Beverly into such a trembling mute. OK, I'll, I'll go and put the coffee on. Are those bruises? Are she... Stay out of it. <laughs> so, Stephen, what are we going to do about this haul? Actually, never mind the haul for now. The first thing I notice as a prospective buyer, Stephen, is that you... Your eyes, they... 
Uh, I don't know what the PC term is, but... Your boss-eyed. <laughs> that is immediately off-putting. I'm coming into your house hoping to purchase, but immediately there's a barrier. I don't even know which eye to look at when I'm talking to you. Okay. You can see it's a problem. You know, they're going to be thinking, who are these freaks? You know, <laughs> is this part of some scheme? <laughs> anyway, let's not dwell. So, the whole... Oh, we're out of time. So, to sum up, uh, give it a quick lick of paint, bin all that stuff and get an eye patch. Is that any help at all, Stephen? Mm. Another satisfied customer. Well, that's all for this series, but next week, I'm back. Can you believe it? Yes, you can. And it's a new show, Personalise That, in which people who've just bought some depersonalised box on an estate's thinking of hastily applied paint get moi truly to wander around telling them where to put pictures of their children. Bye! I'm standing in a call centre just outside Sunderland. Every day, it receives over 100,000 inquiries, in this case regarding gas supply and complaints about gas appliances. And like many similar centres in this economically depressed part of the country, it is staffed almost entirely by children. I'm very sorry that I'm trying to put you through to someone who can help you. This, this is costing me services. I'm, I'm trying to put you... I'm sorry, I can't come round and fix it. Please don't say that word. Lucy is six years old and, and has been working in the call centre since her father was made redundant from the local steelworks. Thank you for calling Regional Gas. Regional Gas declined to comment on their employment policy, but I was able to talk off the record to the supervisor of this particular call centre by pretending I could get him a job in TV. <laughs> Well, studies have shown that when people are annoyed about something, failure of gas supply or whatever, they feel more comfortable shouting at a child. <laughs> Subconsciously, we are better prepared for children to be naughty than large international corporations. And, of course, we only have to pay them in sweets. <laughs> but isn't there a risk that there'll be a problem with paedophile callers? Oh, no, they love it. <laughs> well, we've looked at conditions inside the call centre. I'm going to phone them now and see how this system works in practice. Yeah, is that regional gas? My boiler's broken. No, I don't want you to put me through. I want you to fix my boiler. You've been very naughty. No, crying won't help. You want a good smack, you do. I'll give you a good smack. Well, as you see, I received no help there with my boiler. <laughs> and the child that I spoke to was unable even to begin to deal with my problem. A world gone mad? Maybe. But ultimately, I'm left with a broken boiler with my jacuzzi party coming up on Friday, and that's the real human cost. Good evening, and welcome to Rabbit Newsnight. I'm Martin the Rabbit, and joining me tonight is Andrew the Rabbit. Good evening. And we'll be discussing the continued problems in the Middle East. Now, Andrew, if I could ask you to stop grazing on tender shoots for a moment, would you outline for us what you see as being the crux of the conflict? Absolutely. I would characterise the situation not so much as a conflict between Islam and Judeo-Christianity, but more between fundamentalism and moderatism itself. Well, you make an interesting point, Andrew, but I must interrupt you. Why? Because I thought I saw something move over there, and it's making me nervous. Right, let's leg it! <laughs> Well, that's all from this shortened edition of Rabbit News Night. Coming up next, what not to wear for badgers. Yeah, I, th I think you should remember stripes can be very fattening. This is an urgent appeal. Are you thinking of contributing just £3 a month to help alleviate the suffering of the poorest people in the third world? 
in the hope that a modest contribution will make a real difference to someone's quality of life. Well, think again. Why bother? Do you really think you can buy yourself out of complicity with Western capitalism so cheaply? Forget it. Look at all the suffering in the world. You'd be pissing in the wind. Just spend it on yourself. Why not drown out the noise of suffering with a new stereo with eight-foot speakers? Do you know that for just thirty pounds a month you could buy an Xbox on HP or get drunk twice? So please think before you give pointlessly. And if, like me, you've devoted your life to the study of Tennyson, then you feel that you couldn't possibly know a poem like "The Charge of the Light Brigade" any better.、Mm, of course. But that's why, when I discovered the recording, it was such a revelation. Because for the first time, I was listening to the poem in Tennyson's own voice, being read as he intended. Thank you, Professor. So, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on radio, the newly discovered wax cylinder recordings of Alfred Lord Tennyson reading his own poem, "The Charge of the Light Brigade." Cannon to the right of them! Woo! Cannon to the left! Of them. Cannon in front of them! Oh, I'm scared! Canon. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> All right, settle down, please. Well, now the great feast is over. It's my custom, as head of house, to say a few words to those of you young wizards who've just been sorted into the noble house of Hufflepuff, <laughs> such as. Sorry, I know how you must be feeling. You will just have heard the Sorting Hat mention in his. Curiously insensitive song: How Gryffindor is for the brave, Slytherin for the cunning, Ravenclaw for the wise, and Hufflepuff for the rest. <laughs> and I realise that to hear that, and then almost immediately to find yourself sorted into Hufflepuff, well, it's not quite the ego boost one hopes for on one's first day at school. You are one of the rest. The sorting hat has looked deep into your very soul, and what it saw there evidently didn't impress. <laughs> oh, I'm aware that the hat has, in the past, occasionally described you as kind. Yes, and I'm sure you also have lovely hair. <laughs> Some of you may be wondering about the thinking behind the school's decision to put all the appalling duffers into one house, call it Hufflepuff, and give it the symbol of a badger. <laughs> a little harsh, you may feel. You may even, who knows, be questioning the wisdom of entrusting the school's entire admissions procedure to a hat. <laughs> These are not, alas, questions I can answer. All I can do is urge you to look on the bright side. At least you're not in Slytherin. Another curious decision of the school's there to dedicate an entire house to those of the children in its care who are evil. <laughs> Surely a recipe for trouble. Anyway. Being in Hufflepuff isn't all bad. We have our moments of excitement and achievement.、Uh, last year, one of us was killed. <laughs> That was exciting, and it's something we can all aspire towards. And in the meantime, welcome to Hufflepuff. Long live the bumbling badger of mediocrity. 
So, to make the environment okay, how much of our stuff can we keep? Well, we're facing a catastrophe in the long run. Greenhouse emissions aren't being reduced at a significant rate. We're still cutting down vast swathes of rainforest. Species are going extinct at a quicker rate than when the dinosaurs disappeared. Yeah, but what I'm asking is, to make all that okay, how much of our stuff will we have to chuck out? Stuff? Yeah, the good stuff. The stuff that does the damage. Cars, fridges, things made of plastic. Stuff you can just chuck on the ground when you're finished with it. You know, fantastic stuff. Vodka, guns, squirty cheese. If we keep most of the stuff, will things still be all right? No. Definitely. Yes. Oh, that sucks. I don't think I want to live if we can't keep the stuff. You're thinking about this in the wrong way. It's a question of taking responsibility. It's a question of working out how much great stuff we can keep without actually killing ourselves or making the whole place so uncomfortable that the great stuff doesn't make up for it anymore. And that would have to be pretty bloody uncomfortable, let me tell you. We have to find I mean, I've got Sky Plus. <laughs> I've just got a new DVD player. How many species is that making extinct? And are they ones that I give a toss about? <laughs> We have to remember that we're only one animal out of many billions. No, I want you to tell it to me in cars and fridges. <laughs> Are you saying we have to get rid of cars or we're dead? Because that is the same as saying we're dead. Well, it's, it's not quite as bad as that. Honestly, because I want you to tell me if it's impossible to make the environment better so that we can stop trying. It's a real headache and it's making people feel guilty about having plastic-wrapped salad. Which is just vindictive if everything's doomed anyway. No, no, listen, there are many things we can do, but we have to think long-term. In many ways, the environment is something we lease from our children. Is that a tax dodge? No, I mean... <laughs> I don't lease anything from my children. All the stuff that my children have got is basically mine. By law. I mean, imagine what children would do to the environment. You should see the mess my five-year-old makes with just one box of crayons. If I leased anything off him, it would be covered in jam. I'm, I'm saying we need to look to the future. We need to protect the planet for our children, and indeed, our children's children. OK, well, let's not worry about our children's children for now, because they don't exist. For all I know, my little Leslie is gay. His mother called him Leslie for a start. I digress. Do we need the environment to last forever and ever? Well, ideally... N not ideally, need. <laughs> Do we need it to last forever? Isn't the sun going to blow up at some point anyway? Well, yes, but not for a very long time. So it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> We've been looking after the sun pretty well so far. Yes. The moon seems OK. <laughs> Doesn't seem to have been phased by all the lolly wrappers and the odd flock of slicked-up seabirds. We, we simply have to live within our means. So you're saying we should all live like Eskimos or hermits or third-worldsters just so we can save 19 species of hummingbird and Bangladesh so that they're around to get fried when the sun goes mental. <laughs> that is my position, yes. <laughs> And it was so exciting because having dedicated my career to studying Kipling and trying to make sense of the life of this <laughs> tremendously complex man, it was wonderful to have something tangible, a uniquely human record of the man himself, reading perhaps his most famous poem. Well, thank you, Professor, and I believe we're going to listen to that recording now. Ladies and gentlemen, If, written and read by Rudyard Kipling. And luckily, that's all there is. 
thank you both so much for coming in today. No, no, thank you. Yes, if our boy's in any trouble. I, I wouldn't say your son is in trouble. I, I, I'm just worried he seems to be having difficulty fitting in with the rest of the pack. Mm. Well, we've always known Mowgli was a bit different from the others. <laughs> he, he is different, isn't he? I think you've hit on exactly the right word there. Different. Smaller. Less furry. Worse at running. And of course, wolf cubs are very quick to spot these things. You know, I, I think they picked up on something from the very first moment he walked into the clearing. On his two feet. The times I've told him about that. I've told him, you can't lope on two paws. Can't be done. Well, I'm, I'm afraid his loping is very poor, as is his running, his leaping, his killing, and his howling, quite frankly, is abysmal. He's a lovely singer, though. Oh, yes, we've all heard the singing. You need the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Very tuneful. But I can't help thinking a little less time spent hanging around with bears learning songs and a little more time learning how to bring down an impala with a single bite to the neck would go a long way. <laughs> Who is that bear, by the way? Oh, he's sort of a friend of the family. He seems to like spending time with the boy. Yes, well, I'm, I'm sure you know best. Which just leaves one other issue I wanted to bring up. I'd very much like to know where he got hold of that little red loincloth. Well, we certainly didn't give it to him. It's unhygienic. The whole thing's a mystery to us. I mean, where did he get it? Who taught him how to tie it? What's it for? <laughs> Well, quite. And apart from anything else, it makes it very difficult to sniff his bottom. You just don't get it, do you, Andy? Unless you risk getting hurt, you'll never be happy. But I'm already happy. Oh, I give up. And that was it. That was when I realised I was in a Nick Hornby adaptation. That was it. It had been staring me in the face. All this time that I thought my life was A, it was actually B. And though I thought what I should be doing was C, what I really should have been doing was laboured pun on C, D. That was when I realised I didn't have to worry about being a fully rounded character when I could reduce the emotional experience of 30 million men into a series of cliches about list making and football. Suddenly, it seems so easy. Easy peasy. Everyone worries and hopes. Maybe just saying that's profound. It's accessible anyway. Just a pinch of mortality and despair in what is essentially a comedy mentioning pubs you might have been in. I think we know so much about Queen Victoria, but... But it's not until you listen to this recording that you begin to get close to the real woman and the warmth and love that she bore her hundreds of millions of subjects. And this is her 1891 Christmas message. That's right. This is the 1891 message. <clears throat> Hello. <laughs> if my Albert was still alive, I'm sure he'd want to join me in thanking all of you for all the kind messages, not to mention Prezi's. The Kaiser of Germany sent me a case of peach snaps, which is just beginning to repeat. But thanks for the same. I'm off to have another mince pie, and I expect you will too. God bless and long live me. She sounds fun, doesn't she? Yes. Yes, apparently she was fun. So are Adolf and Ava coming? Ava will. I, I don't know if Adolf will be able to drag himself away from work. He does work very hard, doesn't he? Apparently he runs that place he works at now. Where's that he works? Germany. <laughs> yeah. A apparently he runs that now. 
he's done very well for himself, hasn't he? Good old Adolf. What a nice guy. Although... What? No, I'm joking. I can't think of a thing to say against him. <laughs> How's his art going, his painting? I know that's what he really wants to do. Oh, it's a shame. I think he's pretty much given that up now. Oh, really? Yeah, because, you know, he wasn't selling many paintings, so he got that day job just to tide him over. Yeah. Well, that's been going so well that it's pretty much full-time now. Oh, so he's let the painting slip a bit, has he? Yeah, and I think he thought the whole art establishment was a bit of a closed shop, really. How do you mean? Well, he doesn't like to talk about it. You know Adolf. He, he hates to speak ill of anyone. <laughs> oh, it's a pity he's given it up, though, because I, because I really think he needs another string to his bow. He does. I mean, he's quite intense, isn't he? Do you find that? Yes. <laughs> he is intent. I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't quite a lot going on behind that... Moustache. Th that moustache, yeah. What is that? I, I think it's just something he tried one day, and he obviously just really liked it. Like that uniform, I suppose. No, no, that's for work. He only wears that when he's come straight from work. Apparently, at work, he's really quite strict. What, Adolf? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, he really doesn't suffer fools gladly. In fact, it's, it's not just fools. Apparently, there are, there are various different sorts of people that he just can't be doing with. Really? Yeah, Ava was explaining it to me, but I wasn't really listening. I was making a salad. But <laughs> apparently, he's written a book all about it. Oh, what a brainiac. Yeah, it's called My Struggle. Ooh, that's a bit vainglorious, isn't it? Not like Adolf. Well, it's, it's probably a publisher's thing, make it sound exciting. But Ava says it makes interesting reading. Well, she's ever so proud of him. I think she's hoping he'll, you know, pop the question. Do you know, I can't see him getting married unless he really felt his career had peaked and he might as well settle down. Well, I just hope he doesn't leave it too late. Oh, that reminds me. Remember at Tracy's do, Adolf only got there just before the end. There'd been delays on the circle line, grabbed himself a veggie burger, and then he just really went off on one about the tube. Oh, I love it when he goes off on one. <laughs> it's so funny and not a little persuasive. I know. But some of the things he was saying about tube workers... I mean, we know him, so we know it's not racist. It's just very, very clever irony. Well, I mean, I mean, he's a socialist. Exactly, but if you didn't know him, you could really get the wrong end of the stick. Well, I suppose it is a bit unexpected for a German to be so ironic. Mm, although, interestingly, he's not actually German. Oh? What is he, then? He's Australian. <laughs> Australian? Are you sure? Where else do you think he got that accent? Well, Germany, to be honest. <laughs> to me, he sounds quite German. No, mate, Perth. That's the Perth twang. You see, you, see, you think you know a guy? Well, this is it. <laughs> that Mitchell and Webb sound starred Robert Webb, David Mitchell, Olivia Coleman, and James Barkman. It was written by David Mitchell and Robert Webb, Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain, David Quantic, James Barkman and Mark Evans, John Finnamore and Chris Reddy. And the producer was Gareth Edwards. <laughs>